0: international borders this is in goal radio the podcast presented by the hockey shop thehockeyshop.com and source for sports surrey i'm your host darren millard with kevin woodley today as our dad david hutchison sits back in the home office editing away woody and i will carry you through an interesting gear segment today as we head to bauer world do you have any idea what that is i don't but it sounds really really cool and it's in a great location, like we're talking Miami, hotspot, lots of stuff going on. And we will also chat with Chris Osgood, a man that's on the bubble for the Hockey Hall of Fame, but a dude that's just really cool. He's always just shot from the hip with his opinion. He went from incredible junior player to Stanley Cup champion. And the journey has been a wild ride to now broadcaster and doing some, uh, some youth coaching. And he does not hold anything back. It's a, a real privilege to be able to talk to Chris Osgood as we bring in the man they call Woody. Uh, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm kind of
1: missing dad here, although yeah. um it's kind of our fault. You know, this is what happens when you leave me in charge of you know the technical side and, and collecting the audio. It gets a little glitchy. Um, it wasn't perfect with Ozzy. I was just praying that dad could fix it in production. Some of the parts where, you know, Ozzy's connection started to glitch on us. Cause like you said, like that's easily shot to the, one of the top of the list for our best interviews yet. He was so good. So open. So many, like so many tips and insights. I don't care if you're like me an old man beer leaguer or a young kid listening, you can benefit from his experiences and the experiences he gained from playing with, Guys like Mike Vernon, four guys like Ken Hall and Scotty Bowman with Dominic Hashik and his openness and willing to share all those insights. The fight with Patrick Waugh, there is so much gold in this interview. I can't wait for our audience to hear it. And uh, I just feel bad that we're making Hutch work late hours to clean up the production side of it. But it will be worth it.
0: You know what I got out of it uh, as I was uh, going to work uh, after we did the interview and before coming back and, and recording this was a real trip down memory lane with uh, people that were somewhat of my era. But he mentions a lot of his old partners from, from junior, from minor hockey, and then, uh, then into the National Hockey League. And we're talking like Neil Little, uh, Blaine Locker. Uh, the Loch Ness monster. Uh, played in Melville with the Millionaires. Uh, Osgood mentioned uh going to goalie school in New Yorkton. That's where I went to goalie school with Reg Kachanowski and in International Goaltender School and Tim Chevelday was a goaltending coach there. Uh, Dooner. Uh, all, like just uh, all the cool guy, really cool guys that that you looked up to as as a kid. And then Shevelday, uh, he was partners with with the Detroit. It was it was a, a real mm, experience for me uh, as, as a former goaltender to kind of relive some of those names. Well, and you
1: mentioned the hall of Fame earlier. like to me, this is, this is not just cause he's a guest. I've said it as a guest on other radio shows over the years, like he should be it. And it's not just the record and the fact that when he retired, he was easily in the top 10 and wins over 400 in the NHL, three Stanley cups, two as a starter. And the gap between them, 98 to 2008, between the second or 97 to 2008, between the second and third cups and the work he did to reinvent his game during the lockout, and he got into that. Like, this was a guy who grew up just reacting. I mean, more to it than that, but not the sort of technical layers that we see in the modern butterfly game, and I'd actually written an in-depth feature uh, with him and on him uh, for f- in the past uh, about the transition he went through during the lockout with Stan from Bandits uh, and, and working with Jimmy Bedard and trying to sort of modernize his technical approach and you know i think a lot of people lose sight of the fact he did that but then the success he had afterwards and uh you know taking over the net from dominic hashek to win that that third stanley cup with the red wings and then you know things like scoring a goal like i'd forgotten like he was the second goaltender in the history of the league to shoot a puck into the other net he's one of only six to score a goal um, yeah. Or and not just be credited but, but, for it. Yeah, so, but, but also so the stories
0: much. about how he when he didn't score a goal, right? <laughs> after yeah, that, to, there's after some trying good, to yeah. score goals, <laughs>
1: yeah. There's we've got some good Babcock Babcock story skin here too, as well from Aussie. So it, it's going to be great. I can't wait to share it.
0: Uh, yeah, and uh, and again, he is uh, he's blunt, entertaining, cool, a uh, small goaltender, uh, one of the few guys that that benefited from a lockout. He really not maybe benefited is the wrong word, but took advantage of a yep. lockout. Yeah, and and the Hall of Fame conversation. If he wins that back-to-back cups in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. If he wins that second cup against Pittsburgh, the one where Mark Andre uh, dove across uh, the net and stopped Lidstrom, uh, I'm confident that. Chris Osgood would have been named Conn Smythe Trophy winner that year, and then it's a slam dunk. He's Conn Smythe Trophy winner, a four-time Stanley Cup champion, 400 wins. It's uh, it's it's a no-brainer. He, he now he's on the bubble. I'm with you, but the reality Listen, is he's, he's bubble.
1: I and I get that, but to me, I mean, Flurry makes a good double push butterfly recovery. Like we all know the save. What's that got to do with Ozzy? He did his job, like you said, like, like that's because only because the other guy made that last save. Yeah, I I totally get it. And yet it shouldn't diminish what he did. And to me, it's a no brainer. But hey, listen, um, whether that call comes, I hope it does. I think it should Uh, definitely a Hall of Fame interview and
0: one that I was just delighted to be a part of. You're right. One save shouldn't either keep him out or let him in yeah like saved by somebody else exactly (laughs) that that, that even so uh, so you've convinced me there uh the hockey shop uh the hockeyshop.com source for sports surrey is anybody in the shop right now because it sounds like there's uh there's a party going on
1: yeah there's a party going on in miami and cam was invited uh bauer world we're going to explain what that is and i gotta be honest with you i've never been um but i've kind of I'm at a loss, sort of, my expectation for this, and and I talk about it in the interview upcoming here, but was kind of a Stark Expo type thing, if you're a uh, Marvel fan and and Iron Man fan, like that type of just fantastic, like, extravaganza world of goaltending. I keep hearing about this Bauer world. Maybe one day they'll trust me enough to invite me. Okay, Um, hold on, hold on,
0: buddy. You've worked hard to get an invite here. I am grinding and and in the gear segment uh, that I listen to.
1: Listen, it's in Miami. It's an undisclosed location, but I guarantee you it's close to some hot spots. I wouldn't mind going to Miami. It's like
0: Augusta National, where if if you ask to join, you're never going to be allowed to join. Yeah, maybe I've already blown it then, right? (laughs)
1: I'm done. I'm done. No, but honestly, uh, the the good news is, is even when Cam is away, as we've demonstrated in the past, we could have gone out to the shop this week and had guys like Jono fill in quite admirably. That's one of the things and another reason that I go to the hockey shop source reports uh, in Surrey and the suburbs of Vancouver for all my needs, all my gear, all my sharpening, uh, the latest and greatest from all the top brands, as well as all the little details, whether it's parts for the mask. New cage, dangler, stink spray we talked about last week with a 20% offer, um, sticks, what like everything they have it. They've also got a staff that knows the position, plays the position, lives and breathes the position, like Cam, like John, like like me, like you, Darren, like our audience, they get it. And that's why you should go to the hockey shop, Sorcerer Sports, or if you can't get there in person, you aren't lucky enough to live in the beautiful West Coast. Uh, you can get them at thehockeyshop.com. The good news is, even though Cam is away, and this is actually another you know, another sort of tip in the cap. Cam is there not just as part of the Hockey Shop, but as a part of all National Source for Sports Group. Um, his expertise within the industry is recognized, and so he's got a voice. He's got some some sway within that buying group, and that's why he gets to go to events like Bauer World, which is where we caught up with him. And Spencer Freer, who is the brand manager for Gold Department at Bauer, we managed to pull them out of a quote-unquote meeting. I think there might have been steak and dinner and maybe a drink involved. Um, on the evening, I think the first full evening of Bower World, to have them walk us through this secret extravaganza. We have a special edition of the gear segment. Brought to you by The Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com. It's not coming to you from The Hockey Shop this week. I always introduce that as a little slice of goalie heaven. I think we may actually be coming to you remotely from another slice of goalie heaven. Something they call Bauer World. I gotta be honest, I haven't been invited. But we've got Cam Matwith from The Hockey Shop on the line with us, along with Spencer Fur from Bauer. And they're going to without giving too much away, they're going to open up, they're going to pull back the curtain a little bit. Guys, like, what is Bauer World other than something you don't invite me to?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well, we can't just give away all their secrets right away. Like, we just don't know if you can be trusted yet, Kevin. That's all.
1: That's, that's, that's probably a very wise decision on your part, to be honest with you. But So, so this is a big gathering of industry, um, one of the premier gatherings of industries uh cam is there for the hockey shop but also for source for sports can you guys just walk me through like what all goes on at this well i mean the the pg version of what all goes on at this in terms of you know what's it like cam walking into this what are you seeing new gear for the first time i know you can't give away specifics on what the gear looks like just yet but you're getting a full look at next year's lineup i'm guessing
2: it's it's pretty amazing to see you know just bauer as a whole as a
3: company or what they put into this and how much they you know, care about their retailers and, and whatnot. This, is, uh, this event's all about the retailers, basically, and, and you know, how, uh, how our
0: partnership can continue to grow. And it, it's been fantastic so far. And we've still got another couple more days to, to ride it all through.
1: Spencer, give me an idea of what we're looking like When they walk in, what are they looking at? This isn't just your average conference center, is it? Um, what kind of things do you do? To, are you walking them through behind the scenes, introducing them to the guys who are building the gear, all the different programs?
2: yeah exactly so this year we're down in miami so um we basically bring all of our top uh, our top retailers from all across the globe down to uh down to a remote location kind of a secret gathering of all the, the hockey minds and basically try to show them all the behind the scenes so this year at Bauer World, we're showing everyone all of the new 2020 supreme line for for goalie for player basically everything that rolls up into a 2020 launch and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a look behind the scenes, it's what technology we have coming, it's how to sell sessions on, on the, the key talking points, what we're looking to get out there for everybody. But also it is, it, like right now we're doing a product expo that everybody gets to walk around, touch and feel the product, but then they also get to meet with our Blaineville R&D team and kind of walk through it. So Matt Supertois, our main developer, he's sitting there walking everyone through the product.
1: Okay, so Cam, you've been at a few of these in the past. Maybe you can speak to it. I've seen it, obviously, at the end product um, in terms of testing the equipment, obviously not the 2020, but up to this point, uh, the evolution of this gear and getting a peek behind the curtain at the work that's gone into you know, bringing Bauer from, you know, from 1S, which was a very different product, all the way now up to next year's line and some, getting to meet some of the guys behind it and some of the research and development that's got into it. What's that been like?
2: I, you know, I wish I wish I could speak for more, but I have to
3: keep my lips pretty shut here. <laughs> but put it this way, there's a lot of excitement here. A lot of excitement. There's some amazing things to come. And, you know, as a consumer that's uh, hopefully listening to this, your average goalie, like, get excited. Be ready.
1: What about from, like, just without giving away anything new, like, just seeing it over the years, like, how much how much R&D and how much work has gone into this evolution? Again, not just specifically next year, Spencer, but over the past three years, like this stuff just doesn't appear out of thin air, all these, you know, new ideas and new concepts that you guys have brought to retail and brought to the industry since one S.
2: Yeah, definitely. That's something that we really try to pride ourselves on is definitely our R&D and everything that can go into that. And it definitely takes time. We really pride ourselves on how we bring product to life and that, through field testing so thousands of hours of product being on the ice through r&d and through field testing making sure that everything is just right whether it's uh, uh putting it in a freezer and then getting on the ice to simulate a bus test or we're getting it uh we're doing skate cut testing or we're doing drop testing for impact it's there, there's so much time and effort that goes into this the, the 2020 supreme line has been in the works for basically since two weeks before we always try to time it we always talk about it when you're only a few weeks out from the 2S pro launch. And then we were already talking and already moving towards on the new 2020 line. So there's always things that are moving and always trying to understand and try to get better. And then that's something I think separates us a little bit from our competition as we really try to pride ourselves with our world-class R&D.
1: So Cam's getting a sneak peek at all the uh, goodies for next year. Um, Is there any ice involved or is the only ice in the drinks down there in Miami? (laughs)
2: <laughs> the only ice, the only ice is definitely in the drinks at, at the moment. But we will. We'll, Cam's already been bothering me to get him get himself a set. Every time he sets, up, he puts a set on. He asks when I could ship it to him. So we will. Uh, we'll make sure that Cam gets a set soon. So I'm sure you'll get your eyes on that as well. So
1: carpet flies for now. Now only Cam. Just just carpet flies for now.
2: Yeah. Hey, you heard it here. You heard it here. It, it, it's a thing now. We've got them on rather than so. I guess I'm all in for this one. <laughs>
1: Okay, so now I need you guys just to to leave our guests with a picture because we hear I've always heard about Bower World, Bower World, this big thing. Like, I, I kind of you know we see sort of presentations like Apple when they roll out new product or like like what's this like? Or I'm I'm thinking like there's part of me that's kind of like like geeking out here. Like, is this like Tony Stark's exhibition where you you know everybody walks in and sees all the latest and greatest and there's Iron Man suits flying all over the place? Like, paint a picture for me what this is like when you walk into this thing.
2: Yeah, so so basically what we try to do is we try to almost kind of recreate that Steve jobs moment that it is a very large room that we basically set up in a theater style with a very large screen and a stage. And we walk through the the main technologies and the stories coming this year. But then what we do is we take, we break out the entire group. So the group is made up of about three to 400 people. We break them all out into their own group. And then we do individual product sessions where they, then they do one-on-ones with us the brand manager. So for instance, uh, we started the moment off, the, the morning off with the U S specialty group. So the U S specialty group ca- came in, uh, there was about 90 people in the room and we basically walked through and we do a much more in depth on the product. And, and then, uh, and then at in the evenings we have dinner and then everybody walks through an expo style. Then so, and then it's completely touch and feel. Uh, get to check everything out and see what everybody thinks.
1: Have you let Cam try true design yet? Like, he, Have you given him a set of crayons and seen what he can create yet? Or is that, is that, 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 that probably a little beyond him?
2: Well, my, it, it breaks my heart a little bit when I have to see that his number five set is for sale. That hurts a little bit. So I don't know if we're going to go down the road of getting his own set, but we'll have to play it by ear.
1: Hey, listen, we put that one on Instagram. For those that don't know, that is the vintage Canucks black gold spaghetti skate jersey going downhill set that they have at the hockey shop uh, out there in Surrey. And we teased that it might be going on sale with the number five orange stitching on the side. I got to say, guys, the response we got to that on Instagram, like I've had a lot of the DMs (laughs) asking me like when and where is that thing going on sale? So I think that true design, you know, we saw, we've seen another, uh, you know, a couple more sets, a Linus Allmark today with an absolute beauty for the Sabres 50th. Um, how, how big, just last one, Spencer, how big has that been for you guys this year? Launching that, you know, we see all these great designs at Pro and, and NCAA and, and the CHL, but what about, what about a retail? What about for Joe Blow, like you and me to be able to get in that designer and create our own gear? What's the feedback been on that?
2: Yeah, you know it, it's been great, and we we have two amazing designers. We have uh, Matthew Abraham, and then we have uh, Jan as well. So Jan works internally at Bauer, and and Mash is kind of a freelance on his own that that works and contracted with Bauer. And you know what? They've both been absolutely unbelievable and been able to do their own uh, their own thing when it comes to design. It's almost taken its own on its own kind of life when it it, it almost turns into a mask painting. It you know what I mean? It becomes very personal, very 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 detail oriented and the small little fine detail stuff, I think is where DigiPrint print separates itself. You've seen some of the sets for Alaska university or university of Alberta or anything like that. The fine detail that can be in there. That's not just cut, cut and sew. There's, there's a lot to be said that starts to separate itself.
1: Okay, boys. Well, I appreciate you guys joining us for this very special remote edition of the gear segment brought to you by the hockey shop source for sports and the hockey I'm going to be honest, I'm a little jealous, but I don't want to keep you from the festivities much longer, boys. Enjoy Miami, but not to the point of an international incident. And Cam, we'll see you back at the shop next week. We'll see you then, Kevin. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks, Cam.
2: Thanks, Thanks. Kevin. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Nice of you to let them back get back to work. Yeah, work, quote-unquote.
1: <laughs> I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Now you, you see why I'm striving so hard yeah, for the invite. Eh? You got
0: to for that one. I, uh, I know. I think, uh, I think there should be, I don't know, draw straws from the Ingle uh, radio, the podcast, uh, to see who gets to go. Because you know, dad, dad right now is sitting back going, I think I should, I'm doing a lot of this grunt work. I should be, I should be at Bauer World. I think this, I think it sounds like a, I basically,
1: from what I've heard about our world, it, it may require a three man wolf pack. All of us got to go.
0: <laughs> well, we have to take that because we've already, we've already ditched him from our Vegas trip. So <laughs> he's already mad at us. Hey, did you, <laughs> did you say dangler that, 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 uh, that you're wearing a dangler when you were introing, uh, the gear segment?
1: I mentioned the word dangler as something yeah. you can get at the hockey shop. Okay, Unfortunately, so no, Darren, no, I haven't yet converted to the smart and the safe. I'm still the, the dumb and the bruised. Hmm. Uh,
0: I, uh, I also uh, want to admit that now being uh, a, part, a person that's being paid in US dollars living in the United States, uh, thehockeyshop.com is a really good website to be ordering my uh, gear from because uh, it's, um, I'm, I'm taking advantage of it. It's, we've talked about uh,
1: We've talked about that before. There are a couple of brands that can't travel across the border, rules about shipping, um, mm-hmm. for CCM and Bauer, but pretty much everything else from the hockey that'll cross the border and you'll save yourself the extra. I think it's about 30 32%, depending on uh, on your bank, in terms of the US dollar being worth more up here in Canada. And yeah, absolutely. We encourage people to take uh, take advantage of that. They're pretty close to a border themselves, so they have no problem getting it shipped across and to you in prompt order.
0: Okay, to our feature interview and Chris Osgood, how long have you known the man that we refer to as Ozzy?
1: Oh, well, I mean, probably 03, 04 around that era. So kind of just before the transformation he talked about in the lockout. Um, that was, you know, I started covering the league in 2000 and I started really digging in on goaltenders around 03. So um, that's when I started becoming that annoying guy that asked him all these extra questions. And he was always he was always gracious with his response and sort of listening and explaining. And so I'm not surprised he's made such a smooth transition um, to media and, and to working on the, on, on the media side of things since his retirement. And I'm not
0: surprised he was a great interview today. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I first came in contact with him when he was a junior at Medicine Hat. He was partners with Cam Moon, uh, the play-by-play man of the Red Deer Rebels, uh, former Saskatoon Blade as well. And then he was traded and did a brief stint in Brandon. And I still don't know why Brandon and Kelly McCrimmon acquired him, but they did. And I was lucky enough to acquire his Weeking jersey. So I still have that as part of my collection. So I've kind of followed his, his career because one, he's a great goaltender and two, because I had that sweater. And when we finally got to know him a little bit, he just, he, he didn't, he's not gruff, but he's, he's honest and he's a really unique individual to get to know because uh, he, will, he will share things with you and he's not shy about sharing things as you will get to know and learn from the man that once scored a goal in the National Hockey League and won three Stanley Cups. Opportunity to speak to Chris Osgood, who uh, has been a top prospect a National Hockey League goaltender, now a broadcaster, a little bit of coaching on the side. Um, what what do you consider yourself right now? If you walked up to somebody and had to uh, had to do one of those team building things and and explained what you do, how do you uh, how do you describe it, Ozzy? What
3: do I do? Um, I'm, I don't think I'm an expert by any stretch of the, <laughs> the imagination, but uh, I do have some knowledge in uh, especially goaltending uh, for young kids know just uh the mental side of it, how to deal with stuff when it doesn't go right. Um I can, you know, give some my insight too on um you know what, what 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 you need to do off the ice, away from the rink to get yourself ready as a player and uh, what it takes the National Hockey League level to not only get there but to stay there. It's real difficult. Uh how to set expectations, uh, not only in just goaltending but in life in general you know, the willingness to try new things, uh, you know, even, a, even temp stuff you might be fearful of doing, um, just the ability, you know, just to give kids confidence to go out and play and have the, uh, mind frame mindset to go out and, uh, realizing that if they work hard, um, uh, listen, never, never give up that. You know things in, in the end are going to work out regardless of which direction you're going in.
0: Why did you start playing goal
3: full time? Um, when I was 11, my first year PeeWee. So no, 10 turning 11. Uh, my brother and I actually switched on and off up until then. He was actually better than I was when we were younger. Um, I was you were both defensemen. Team had no goalies that was back when your coach would bring the uh, box of jerseys to your house and you got to pick whichever ones were left, depending on what the, the route of the, which, which who lived closer to the coach. And by the end, sometimes there's only four to pick from. So you didn't have a lot of numbers to choose. Um, so my brother and I usually got what was in the bottom and nobody wanted to play goal. So him and I was grabbed the equipment and, um, we'd switch every game. And then if we weren't playing goalie, the other guy would play out. Um, then he was better than I was. And then, he actually passed. He was a better defense, and so I ended up staying in net in peewee. And then that was really my first year playing full-time goalie. And my first game full-time, I had goalie skates on. You could barely stand up. Pads were on the wrong legs. Didn't go too good. We lost like 10-1. Lots of tears that game. But uh, that was the start of a goalie career. So I remember at the Moose Recreation Center in Medicine at
1: that's fantastic. Hey, I still have games like that. Uh, uh, well, actually, most of my games end up like that, Ozzy. So that's, that's good to hear that uh, th- there is a future for me, even at 46. I might have the odd good one still. Um, junior, you, you have a great junior career. At what point in that path did goaltending and hockey become something you thought about as a potential career?
3: I would, I would say my, my first year midget. I mean, bad. I mean we had good teams, but midget was when you're kind of affiliated with the junior team and Blaine locker who played in Boston, Neil little who played won an h l AHL championship and with the phantoms and still good friends with these guys. And, uh, he played a couple of games to the flyers. It was us three trying to for our teams all the time in medicine at, and, uh, which is kind of incredible that it's telling that size would have three That's wild. that would make it. And, uh, so Blaine was always older. Coach decided to go with the younger guy, which was me. So, so, you know, a lot of luck, a lot of chance goes into this, too. As you go along, you got to take advantage of your opportunity to get. In midget, it was the first year that I was playing midget that I, that I thought, you know, I, and then you get protected and also with juniors. So then you kind of think, you know, maybe I'll try and, try and go far with this. So that was kind of when I first got real serious about being a goalie was my first year midget where, where I realized, you know, I had to start doing some extra stuff and, I uh, really got into it at that point in time.
0: And what was the thing that you adopted? Was it off ice training? Was it going to goalie schools? Uh, was it?
3: Yeah, back then it was going to goalie school. I mean, yeah. it, it, you'd usually go to a hockey school and the goalie would go in. And I remember you, Tigers would have like Mark Fitzpatrick would be out there, Troy Gamble would be out there. And, you know, the goalies would get some attention, but you're more or less just a target at a hockey school with a bunch of players. So then it was like, okay, now we're going to get serious. And my parents would send me to Yorkton goalie school. You know, that was kind of at that point in the eighties, that was a big deal. if you were a goalie strictly just going to a goalie camp because there's really no goalie coaches or or there wasn't a heck of a lot out there that anybody specialized in goalies. At that point, just going to goalie schools and really uh, really focusing in, just, just playing a heck of a lot more. Now, I didn't really train be a goalie then it was just more or less just more ice time more more individualized training as much as you could get then
1: so you get drafted by the Red Wings Chris and I'm just trying to do the math here on you know obviously we've seen and we know how special that relationship is with Ken Holland he wasn't GM until 97 so 91 when you get drafted by the Red Wings is he he's a scout at that point or a chief scout at that point with the Red Wings is is that where that started like a
3: he was a Western scout first and then he became the chief scout running the draft. Um, I remember at Messina, he was always in the rail and we ended up playing left bridge was Jane McCullin? noodles. was the other goalie, but that's kind of where I, where, and I knew him from when I was 15. So he followed me playing midget. Cause he, he was a, he, what's it called, you know, you hear the St. Rink rap, but Ken Holland really was in rinks, nonstop in medicine hat and in the junior circuit. So you'd always see the rail Madison Hat. So you'd always try and play better. Everybody knew he was a, still for the Red Wings, and then he was running the draft. So, um, you know, I, I, I didn't even really know I was going to get drafted by Detroit. You know, I, I knew he was following me, but you, you, you never really know when you hear stuff. Um, but I do, I, you know, I do remember, I think we played a game against Smith Current, and it was on TV. That's when TSN would show one game a week or something like that. And I had a pretty good game. I remember after that, that people were talking about, he like, might get drafted. So that was really the first time. I never really thought about it that much um but I, ken holland was one of those guys you know it was good that i had him he was a mentor away from the ice for me i was when you're 16 17 you need some direction really um other than on the ice but off uh just working hard and with the trainer uh me and Neil a little and kind of made sure we uh were there on time and we were doing the right thing and in you know, a small town unbeknownst to us but knowing now you know he hears what you're doing all the time so you know he's he was honest about showing up on time for workouts and he he really was the driving force and leading me in the right direction just to give me a chance and put the pieces in place which would give me an opportunity to possibly get drafted and make
1: it
0: did he continue to be a mentor when you broke into the National Hockey League and because you had personalities like Scotty and 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 Mike Vernon and that's, that's not easy to, to forge relationships and, and, and establish yourself.
3: Yeah. He always had advice for me, good or bad. I mean, I remember one year I was I, I could have won the ice more in the summer. I didn't, I think it was my second year. I didn't have a good training camp. Came back to the hotel, that year old hotel, it was going on the red light there. Yeah. For, you know, someone's really relevant. And whenever that red light was going on at training camp, that wasn't a good thing. For the most part, nine times out of 10. <laughs> Um, so, you know, more or less gave me a uh, lecture for quite a while on my hotel phone. Straight now you have to start doing this and, and committing yourself and being focused. And so, you know, that was good. I remember that. And it was a good lesson for me thinking that I could just step on the ice and perform. And that wasn't the case. i had to do a lot of other things to make yourself successful that I was, you know, slacking off. And, you know, it kind of put me on notice and, uh, it was good. So he was, you know, he never let me. Uh, whenever I was veering off the tracks, he'd get me back on. So and everybody needs somebody like that when they're younger. So it was important, for sure, surely a big factor of why I made it and, and uh, had the opportunity to play in the National Hockey League. Scotty, what was he like? Well, Scotty was great. I, Scotty, he, he what he um, he taught me attention to detail. Kenny did too but if differently you know then if you want a game 5-4 you're more or less you're fine with that or if it was 4-3 or you know I grew up watching Grant Deer play so you know right four but make saves in the end uh seven six but play great in the end kind of thing that's what I was used to watching and seeing and that's what I always you know man said I was hockey in Canada so Scotty you know I let some late goals in if it was one or five one. And, you know, I always thought, sorry, it was one, five, three, you know, but, but he taught me, you know, it's not okay. You have to be attention to detail even in the games when it's five, one in January, because in the playoffs, when it matters most, you're going to have trained yourself mentally and physically to, 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 to be ready for those situations. So, you know, really learn that even when it's four, one to still be on top of your game, always strive for excellence and, and uh, play your best always, and never let your guard down. I mean, I think that was the thing. Just being ready to play and and finishing games; those are the two things he really taught me.
1: March 6, ninety six, against the Hartford Whalers. Tell me how it happened. Mm-hmm. I would. I
3: remember. Oh God, here we call this here. Glenn Wesley, I believe it was. Is that right? Dumped it in, and uh, now the funny thing is, the current in. When I was in Madison. Jeff Sanderson was on for that goal. I believe he's on for this one too. So he's actually on for both of my goals, only goals. And uh, Wesley dumped it in. And I told Drapes for the game that I was going to go for it. And I was going to score tonight. And Drapes was injured, so he wasn't playing. And he was in the old press box in Hartford, he came down, walked down. And as he was walking down, however, he get there, I don't have no idea. I ended up uh, scoring. So Wesley dumped it in kind of veered to my left, put my stick on the ice and got it. And I I had quite a bit of time, but I almost hit Nick list right in the head, I believe, right? And he had a duck. Um, and I pretty much hit around just past center. And went right in the middle. And then Drapes came down. And he was in the corner. And he's and he's, asked, he's asking me if I'd scored because back then, you know, there, there was no replays, really. I mean, there's some, but not a heck of a lot. And first, he didn't believe me. I'm like, no, Drake seriously, I scored.
0: So he wouldn't believe
3: me. <laughs> So that was it, but I remember Jeff Sanderson said, I don't know if he told me or somebody else told me it, that, hey, you, you realize I was on for both and he's kind of like, that's un- that's unbelievable coincidence, so all those years later.
1: You called your shot. But,
3: well, I guess. <laughs> I guess I did. I guess I did.
1: Now, was that, was puck handling, I mean, obviously you said you scored in junior as well, was puck handling nowadays I mean, it's almost a prerequisite. You have to have some ability to handle the puck. Not everybody has to be Mike Smith, but you got to be able to move it and set up your D and keep them safe. Back then, not oh, so yeah. much. Was that something that you prided yourself on, or were it sounds like you're ahead of the curve on it?
2: I'm a, uh, well. This, once
3: again, you're fortunate who you meet and who. So it was a scout, Reg Porter, and I can't. I think it was wasn't Brighton. He was a coach of Madison at Tigers and. And um, I, Ron Hexel was playing Brandon, so I always saw Ron Hextall play. So, and you know, when you're a goalie, you watch other goalies. So, and Ron Hexel was my favorite guy, he's a junior. Brandon have a great team, but he was always real good. And uh, he's played the puck a lot, so I emulated him and tried to be like him, and Reg Porter was a scout for massachusetts They wanted me to play the puck from a young age, because in midget, you're kind of like the farm team for the junior team. So I, when I was 14, 15, 16, and wow a lot of mistakes lots tons that people had to live with but um you know no fault of trying you the only way you can get any better Then, and uh, I was just committed to this, trying to be as good as I could with it and uh I remember in Vancouver I just was on the road in Vancouver doing a game as you know and Ken Cal was telling a story when I told him I was going to score that night against Vancouver so same thing and they actually dumped it in and it was a I had tons of time and I flubbed the puck and created such a kerfuffle in her end for the next minute. It was, and Babcock was so mad at me. I remember, so it can go both ways in a hurry. And uh, I remember it was only by fluke that it didn't go in. They actually scored, but the whistle it went. So, um, dodged one there, but it can go both ways. Um, uh, Mike Smith's been cut out two or three times this year, but to me, watching him I, I, I can't remember they playing the goalie was pulled I mean he was single-handedly they couldn't get the puck for the last minute and a half because it was puck playing so I mean you, you live by the sword you die by the sword sometimes but um, as a goaltender playing the pocket, massive advantage uh, you talk about New Jersey's defense all those years Niedermeyer and, and Niedermeyer-Stevens Danico got had great defense there Patizov was there for a while too um, but Murray Burr playing the puck is a huge huge deal for, for that defense, too, and it made them even better. So, difficult to get dumps, difficult, difficult to get end zone time when a goalie and a defense are paired up like that and have, have the continuity that they did.
0: What did Babcock say to you that night?
3: Nothing. You can just tell when he's mad. <laughs> <laughs> but I was older, so I was like, oh, oh well. I wasn't really too concerned about it, but, um, it was close. I mean, it would have been, it it was like a, it came off my stick like a six degree wedge almost like straight up flubbed it from that point on. It just became a complete kerfuffle. Lucky to get out of it, but, uh, you laugh after, but still, I think it's more important than it ever has been because you can't hold up. Um, but you gotta be real quick. You gotta be decisive. You don't, they don't have as much time. Um, as we did, because you could hold guys up, you could clutch and grab, um, you go out and fake, like you're going to touch it on icing. You know, you got the trapezoid now. So, which I wish you'd take, get rid of. It doesn't, it doesn't have any purpose anymore. Um, you're really taking away at goalies, something you're, you're taking away. Something the guy might actually sign somewhere for being better at playing the puck. And you're taking that away from somebody It's crazy. Um, but for me, um, as you go along and watch Edmonton, you're going to know what a huge difference that's going to make in the, in the end.
0: Ozzie, what was your best skill or attribute when you were younger and did it change when you got older?
3: Well, because I watched Grant fear and, and you know, you always have to be adjusting as is always regardless of the score, what was winning the game in the end. And it was, did that in midget, did it in junior. Um, you know, you don't always win, but you know, making big saves the last 10 minutes don't play great every big game, but for the most part, trying to play really well in all the big games. And Sometimes you get, you know, you go on the flip side of that where sometimes when the games don't mean as much, you don't do as well. And that kind of becomes not acceptable in, in, in the new era of hockey. Right. So, um, but just the, the ability to play bit, good and big games and make the saves when I had to, and just bouncing back. If, I let in a bad goal. You know, I always was like that. And that, that was from, you know, that was from watching grant fear, just even Mike Vernon for that matter, getting to play with him. I mean, he was the same way. He always said, "Why well, care about what already happened. Just keep playing, keep, keep battling. Don't worry about it. Um, so I was real fortunate that I had a chance to play with a lot of good, good guys too. I mean, that was another lucky, lucky break for me as I got to play with Tim shovel. They uh, talk about perseverance. Well, he had tons. Um, Vincent Riendo, Got to play with him, got to play with Mike Vernon, Dominic Cass. I got to play with a lot of legendary guys that I watched growing up. Baba Senza I got to play with. I watched him play in Winnipeg. So for me, there wasn't any point in time that I ever played with a guy that was really younger than me, other than maybe Kevin Hodson, until the end it was Jimmy Howard. But I, I was always had somebody with me that was kind of a mentor to me, which was real important.
1: Sorry, I was I was going to say we'll get the Hashik in a bit, but I wanted to start with Vernon like those two cups back to back, you watched the first one, what did you learn from him? Mm-hmm. Was there anything that you took out of watching the first one that allowed you to be ready to be the guy in the second?
3: Yeah, well, we roomed together the whole time. Now, that's back when you
1: you know, you had to have a room, you had a roommate on the road. So, I room with Vernie
3: the whole time. Just you know how I, you know you, you know the stuff you talked to him just how he stayed even killed the whole time. Um, you know, there's games where I believe in the first round, um, he, he, wasn't needed a lot, but he still played, played real well. And, but, and then we ended up playing against Colorado and that's when he really played well, but he never changed his demeanor ever. He was the same guy, the same person before every game. It wasn't like all of a sudden we were playing Colorado and it was going to be a tougher series and he was all worked up and, and, uh, or nervous, or he, he was the exact same guy, in the finals against Philly, as he was in game one against San Jose. So to me, it was a real lesson, just, you know, just Steven even keel regards building you're in, who you're playing against. is just, you just worry about what he was doing, and he just played. And I, that, I found that real important just to sit back and watch that. And then even the year before when we lost to New Jersey, I mean, it didn't go well in the final, but it wasn't as if he ever changed the way he was playing or his demeanor on or off the ice and just stayed confident and held his head up and just keep, kept yeah. battling and it was real impressive. I mean, it's something you can sit back and watch, and sometimes you don't have to stand to each other just to sit there and learn. Learn. So, I mean, that was real important for me over the next year for sure.
1: Okay, now the the last cup you won with the Wings, I mean, we move on a full, you know, you got Hashik there with you, but in between those two, you made some changes to your game. Can you talk about the evolution, I guess, not just of yourself, but of the position and how you evolved with it between... You know, in those, t- I mean, there were a couple teams in between as well, but in that gap between those last two cups.
3: Yeah, I really, I didn't really change too much when I was with the Islanders. Uh, you just don't have the time to. Uh, you can do some work in the summer, but I didn't really have the opportunity to do it, nor was that style was just coming in. It wasn't where, you know, we're used to challenging and a lot of times over challenging, get caught of the net on a two on one. Um, then when I went to St. Louis, a little bit but not a lot and then there was lockout and that's that's when i ch- i changed my game and i'm like well, okay, if i want to make some changes and take what i do already well and mix it with what's going to make me more successful with this the new stuff that's sliding blocking um you're on your knees and the, the the pushes and it was hard for me and uh took a while i mean i would go on the ice to the walkout a few times a week at first with no shooters just to get all these moves down it was, it was a lot of repetition um, a lot of just doing it over and over and over again. And it took me out quite a while, and then you go from that stage to okay, now they're shooting the ice. Well, now do doing when there's pucks being shot at you, and that's a totally different aspect of it. Really struggled a lot of times, you know, looking at yourself to make sure you do the move right. Well, meanwhile, the puck's flying by in practice. So you, I got to a point where, you know, I, I I practiced a ton at it and really tried to change the way I played, not as much out as I used to. Um, or you're over-challenging back in kind of the 80s, 90s styles mixed together. Um, and then the season started, and it was tough in games because you're overthinking, but my body's telling me to still do the old diving stuff, and you know, like the old where a career still has dive across the game and get it in his glove, that kind of save, which now is obsolete. And, you know, they, these guys can shoot better. They can move the puck faster. So I got to be bummed. Chest up on my knees. Uh, in my butterfly, has got to be wider, but I gotta be able to move around on my knees and be a good blocker while I have my hands up and a lot of other things. So, I it didn't really that first year was tough. I don't know my stats were they weren't very good. And uh, I remember a game at M and they had a power play and they passed, it passed B to D. I think he won but I dove across like I would and when I first started my hands first and hit my. And I, I was I was later, I'm like, why would you do that? Because I knew I wasn't supposed to, but my but I was still trying to train my body to do that and in a game. So it took about a year, two years. It took practicing for a year and playing for a year. And then by the next, the next year, I trained my, my mind where it just naturally started happening. So it took a while. It wasn't easy. I mean, it was, uh, there was some frustration and it was hard, but, uh, I knew I had to do it in order to play. So there's some gratifying moments, uh, I remember I played. I think it was in Colorado against the Avalanche where I was I was pushing around, making back-to-back saves, and then two days later I dive across the net. So it was a lot, of, a lot of ebbs and flows to it. But it, 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 eventually I got it down, and I think it enabled me to play a lot longer. But it also helped me for the fact that I stood up for a lot of my career for half. That's so that's probably. Another thing that enabled me to play longer where I wasn't on my knees with so much um, stress on my hips and and my knees like these guys have nowadays Where So I was kind of a in between um, a a hybrid, half stand-up, half blocker, butterflyer. And it took a while to get there, though.
0: Who did you trust during that lockout to put you through that transition when you went on the ice by yourself, or were you self-taught?
3: Well, Jim Bedard I, and I had, I had a goal. Jim Bedard was from Niagara Falls. so Obviously he was still working. He had to do a lot of stuff. He had to scout. He had to, he had to, uh, back then the goalie coach also scouted. He's with the, with the Grand Rapids team with those guys. So he had a lot of work too. So I had to get a goalie coach who's stand with him here and slowly started doing it and used him and use Jimmy Bedard. I mean, I was never one of those guys that just used one goalie coach. Like a lot of these guys do now. I always like a, a lot of different guys or listen to a lot of people because they had different opinions and I take what worked and that was the same as watching guys. I learned to put my stick on the ice by watching their Belfort, which I thought not that time was one of the most brilliant moves ever. When you think about it, a lot of guys would stand up on the post guys would wrap around. It would go in, you know how many goals you saw like that in the really nice. Go well, at Belfort and put a stick on the ice. Stick claws, butterfly. And then you take, um, A lot lot of different guys had a lot of different moves. that You watch, you take that. So I use the goalie coaches the same way. I would use them. um, You don't like everything they say or you don't agree with it, but there's always something there you can take and be open-minded with everybody that you work with. So Jim Bernard was most influential probably because he was the guy that always stuck by me. Even when I was doing the dives and still stuck in my old ways, you know, He's go on the ice. And it, it was sometimes just with him going on for a half hour on a Sunday morning or a Saturday, just him and I, he put a lot of time in we just doing the moves, pushing slow. It was all about the goalie, not with player shooting. So it was a lot of behind the scenes um, work. And these guys all do it now. I mean, all the time, but back then you really didn't. So it was just probably Jim Budar. Ken Holland was always had my back because he knew what I was doing going in the right direction. Everybody doesn't know all the time, so probably Ken Holland, Jim Bedard, with Twib on the ice for sure helped me while I was in that transition. But when you get to the NHL, you need guys back, and you are doing that. And it was it was uh, Jim Bedard and Ken Holland for sure.
0: Who taught you how to chart faceoffs and uh, keep tracks of shots on the bench?
3: That job is the stupidest job for a goalie ever. And Mike Babcock made it up, but I'll say now because I'm 47, that is a waste of time. It's like Somebody, how many guys they got in the video room now? Four? At least. Yeah. Yeah. They can do that. There you go. They can do that. They're good at that. That's what they're there for. I'm there for stop the pot. You
1: ever have any near death experiences? Cause you had a clipboard in your hand as opposed yeah. to a glove. In
3: Calgary I almost got killed face off, right in the face off circle. I was stabbing Paul Boyer. And went back to the defenseman, and he and were, I think they were shorthanded. He went to dump it in. It ricocheted off somebody's stick It just missed my head by maybe
0: a foot. I was done with
3: it. I would purposely, do him, I would purposely do him wrong, so I didn't have to do him. I purposely do him wrong.
0: You and I had that conversation privately one time, and, and I just I told Woody, I said I have to bring this up, uh, just just for the pure, pure entertainment part of it.
3: I would purposely, I purposely do him wrong and purposely put the wrong numbers on, so I didn't have to do him. I know that sounds bad, but it's the person that invented the fact that the goalie had to do the face offs for starters. That's wrong. Put it that way. I think every goalie, every single goalie, all sixty four because there's thirty two teams next year, right? Yeah. yeah you're right. so i'm in I'm in the goalies union, not the coaches union, so. There you
1: go. That's good. We'll send you. A, we're we're going to relaminate that goalie union card for you after this one. Um, I wanted to ask you real quick though, Ozzy about about Hashik. We talked. To, you you were talking about influences, and obviously you mentioned Stan from Bandits and Jim Bedard, who was such a huge influence, and Kenny Holland. What about playing partners? You've you've talked about some of the other guys. Dom comes in. And are there takeaways there? He was so unique in his approach. What were some of the things, if anything, that you could take, if if not from his game, then from his mental approach? What, what were the positives? What would you take out of it for yourself?
3: Well, I play with guys that, and I wasn't one of them, that mentally strained themselves afternoon before playing a game. And by the time the game started, they were exhausted. Just mentally exhausted. And Dom, it's the opposite. Dom's relaxed you wouldn't even know he's playing until the he goes on the ice and then he's all in and uh, his work ethic is what made him he is obviously he saw the game as a goalie I said like Wayne Gretzky sees the game as a player that's how he saw the game he saw he could do stuff 95% of the goalies that are played couldn't do um, because he saw the game in different ways. Um but besides that that's Fair to say that, but without his work ethic, that never comes to fruition he He worked so hard. I remember we lost a shootout. At, I can't remember again, but he put all the pucks at center, and him and I went in, and I think Eisen was shooting. We had to stop every puck if we did let it in, the puck went back to center. If we stopped it, it went to the corner. so we had to stop every one. There had to be eighty pucks out there, maybe more, so we'd switch every two or every one, and we'd go oh God because we lost in a shootout. so he was and in practice. You know, when we grew up, you stood up and practice. I mean, I mean, if it went in, you could move on to the next one. Well, he would try to stop every single shot in practice. And it was real fortunate for me. I got a chance to put him. He made me better a hundred percent and, and he makes you work in practice because you're watching with your end. You don't want to be upstaged. You want to be embarrassed, like, oh, well, you know, you want to be doing as well as him. And he'd work so hard in practice and he, he'd be so mad if he let in a goal that he wasn't happy with. And, you know, you. You start doing that yourself. So when I went in 2008, it, it, I was ready. I mean, and if he wasn't, wouldn't have been there, you're sitting on the bench, yeah, you're there, and you think you're ready, but you're really not. You, you need to put in the work plan. I remember Jim had already ready. I said, yeah, I'm over it. I'm 100% ready. I wasn't I wasn't nervous to go in. I wasn't worried about going in. I wanted to go in. And it was because of the work that we put in practice and everything we had done prior to that even happening. I had no idea what's was going in. I had no clue. So it was um, one of those things where just being around him, uh, makes you work harder. And just his demeanor, uh, you know, he'd be in the dressing room talking to me about everything from what, what's going on next week to, to yeah. ball or saw everything. And then all of a sudden he'd stand up, hit his pads and go out and play unbelievable. And he'd be just dialed right in. So it was kind of like he, he, he relaxed his mind before he went out and played. So he had his, he had his Mets 100% mental capacity he went and played to focus on the puck. So it was, it was cool playing with him. I mean, it was hear stories about him, but I was real fortunate I got a chance to be around him.
0: Woody and I both have one question that we want to ask you. Uh, I'll go first, and then Woody will, will ask his, and then we're done. Uh, you wore the birdcage. If you wore a fiberglass mask or the, the cage and mask combo, what would you have put on your mask? What, what would you have painted on, on it, uh, your design?
3: I, I would, a wizard of Oz probably, or, yeah. uh, that or I would have put like something with medicine hat. I would have put something with Detroit. Uh, but then I would have joked around and put like the grind line on there, out of picture drapes. But every time I tried to wear a mask, these guys abused me and, and ridiculed me so bad in practice. I couldn't wear it. And I, what do you mean? Yeah. Every time I had, I had guys make me masks. I had like three masks. A couple of them were really cool. And, uh, I wear in practice. I'm like, okay, this is the time I'm going to transition over. I'm going to change because obviously the protection isn't the same as the mask is. And I remember Weber hit me with a shot through a screen late in the game against Nashville. Like it, we we're up four one, and it stung me. So I'm like, that's it. I'm changing. And uh, I couldn't do it. They they're all over me in practice, and and then uh, they'd be joking around, and it was. Hold on, hold on.
0: Peer peer pressure.
3: Yeah, got to me. It was the peer pressure that got to me. <laughs> It was it, the comfort. It was way more comfortable for me, and I could see out of it way better. That, right. those were the two things that I couldn't go. with The fact that I could see out of it way better. I could see down. I could see the side a lot better than I could with the
1: mask. Wow, that's I, now. Now we're gonna have to ask you to dig up some pictures of those masks that never made it to the public. But in these days, if you even stepped out in practice, they'd be all over the internet. But if you got any of those photos, you're gonna have to share them with us. Last one for me, Aussie, is that legendary. That rivalry, the blood feud—I think—is what they called it with the with 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 the Avalanche. We, we all know sort of yeah. some of the history and the hits that led to it. But what was it like to be in the middle of that? And 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 walk me through oh, the Patrick cool. Waugh fight.
3: Um, those games you always circle those games on your calendar. Um, those are great games. You know, it, what made it is because both teams were so great. I mean, uh, b- both teams were trying to win at uh, the same time. And, uh, I would do anything, anything, anything. And, uh, you know, both teams had their superstars. They had their role players. Uh, they had their in the trench guys, they Had other guys that could fight pretty much dead, dead even. I, you know, I never expected to fight. I mean, I, I, I know Vernie did the year before and, uh, he was exhausted. So I was, I, I, I was never set out to fight. I never thought thought about it. Uh, it just kind of happened.
0: Had you fought before?
3: No, I fought a midget once. I was in 11th grade. I didn't go to school the next day because I had two black eyes. <laughs> so <laughs> I was not very well put as I, I wasn't well trained in fighting other than watching guys like the great Rob, Bob Probert fight and McCarty. So I actually, when I started fighting and he came out pretty aggressive, so he just, you know, took her helmets off because nobody wants to break your hands. And I thought I'd start out with lefts only because that's when I saw McCarty do all the time. And it was more or less very, very soft punches just to try and set up a right. That really never happened. And then it became more of a wrestling match. And, and I got to tell you, when you're wearing all that goalie gear and you're not used to it, you get tired in a hurry real fast. And, uh, they rest around, but I just remember Scotty Bowman being so mad. he was by the bench yelling at Patrick Wah and yelling. And I've got a couple of great photos where I think it was Shani and Stevie and everybody as we're playing at center laughing. And then we end up wrestling. We end up falling on top of each other by our front of our bench and Scotty, who is in the back standing. Then he comes up to the front and he's leaned over the boards, yelling at Patrick Wah, thinking it was all his fault that he's created this whole ruckus and somebody might get hurt. Cause it was only what, three weeks till the playoff started, I
1: believe. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was eight. Yeah, it, was eight it was April 1st.
3: Yeah. So it wasn't very long till the playoffs started then. So, you know, Scotty wasn't, wasn't happy one bit with the fact that all this was going on again. So, but I mean, real cool rivalry. Um, you know, one of, but saying that one of, I mean, not that I want to talk for a while, but the best is the Islanders Rangers. I went there, unbelievable. I mean, people never never talk about that one. It's outstanding. Do you ever recommend go to a game, watch those two
0: teams play? They beat up Santa Claus one night.
3: Yeah, if they, what if the Rangers Island game?
0: Yeah. yeah, the Rangers Island. They they had they had a bunch of Santa Claus uh, guys on the ice, people on the ice, and.
3: Under uh, one, haven't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 it was great, but oh, and and you're right, it is outstanding, but this this Santa Claus one, an Islander fan took off a Santa Claus sweater and there was an Islander jersey underneath and all the Ranger Santa Clauses beat him up.
3: I remember we were playing the Rangers and we were I think we were like 901 maybe. So the one of the best starts we they had. I think they were last place the year before and we smoked by the Rangers at home. And I remember Going off base the there, it was like we'd been on an eight game losing streak. And the language was unbelievable. I've never heard it like that before. I get abused at home like that. But you can't lose and that's when I learned. I walk up and I say, Oh, I guess you can't lose to the Rangers, Snowy. I remember saying that to him. He goes, Nope. That was a one game that you had to win as an islander. They didn't care about any other games other than that one.
0: That's great. You uh you are a beauty and uh and a true uh Just uh, awesome personality, and we're glad to have you in the goaltender union. Uh, Thank you very much for this, and uh, continued success. We we love watching you.
3: Anytime. There's nothing better when three goalies get together. A lot of brains and a lot of smarts there. They don't realize it, but they all want to be around us. You ever notice that? They all gravitate to us.
0: It just happens naturally, organically. Uh, Thanks, Ozzy.
2: It does. Thanks, Okay. Thanks, guys.
0: I failed as a host. Uh, that was a great interview. Awesome interview. And I, and I don't laugh out loud often. I, I try and reach strain because the audio and all that kind of stuff. But when, I mean, he had me oh. busting a couple of times there. But I'm, I the, apologize. You told me to, to warn people about the audio that there was well, a, bit of a glitch and I didn't do it. Hey, if anybody should be apologizing, it's
1: me because uh, it was my fault. Uh, we weren't able to grab... Well, it wasn't that we weren't able. We didn't grab Ozzy in person when the Red Wings came through Vancouver and they only make one visit this year. Just because we really wanted to make sure that we had you involved in it, Darren, because you guys do go back and you have that history. And and I think that's... you know, you, I mean, I know it's a credit to him and, and how open he is, but I think part of how open he is is because he has that trust and that relationship with you. And the interview was so much better for having you a part of it. Unfortunately, that meant you know, using some Skype technology that can be limited at times by connections. And so the output audio on Aussie had a few glitches. That was the downside. Uh, the upside is Hutch, who unfortunately couldn't be here tonight because he's busy fixing all those glitches. So if it wasn't for dad cleaning it up, it would be even worse. I do promise our listeners, we're not going to be able to grab every guest in person as we try and expand uh, all the different guys we talk to. It's not always going to be somebody coming through town here in Vancouver or through Vegas where Darren is. And on those occasions, we have actually just started to look into maybe some better technology, some better options so that the last thing you want to lose is, you know, like like that story, the laugh out loud story about the clipboards. I don't want to take any chance of losing that <laughs> openness and that honesty and those quotes. And so uh, we'll make sure we uh, we double down on efforts to clean up the audio when we got to do a phone guest.
0: The, the end part where he was like, I don't want to talk. His, this is his quote. I don't want to keep talking here, but uh put the rangers in the Islanders, and then he he goes on and, and, and talks about that story it oh. uh it was fascinating and We're, to to have somebody uh, he said at the end, three goalies just just hanging out talking hockey it's uh that's why people listen to this podcast that's why uh, you do what you do. That's why I love uh, loved the invitation to get involved with this. It's well, just uh, it's a really unique uh, environment.
1: And because of our schedules and we we're trying to balance three different schedules and he's coming on, I mean, they've had a heck of a road trip to start the season and it wasn't easy. And yet, I, you know, I know he genuinely enjoyed it because he sent a text after saying how much fun it was. So, oh, he did. Oh, uh, good. Yeah. So that's uh, always a good sign. There definitely have to be a part two with Ozzy because I think there's a few more st- stories we could turn over <laughs> under those rocks. It was great.
0: Oh wow. Uh, yeah. And uh, I didn't know his brother was a goaltender. Uh, I didn't and, either. <laughs> the the part about the the jersey uh, drop off where the coach, depending on which oh, that route was gold. you were, I mean, yeah, the, yeah gold. Um, fortieth episode here. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah,
1: it's almost as old as I am. Like we're getting there, eh? It's not too bad. We're 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 racking up some good guests. We're keeping it, you know, I I I hope for our audience it's diverse. You know, I got you know, Carter Hart one week, Chris Osgood the next, guy who hopes to win cups, a guy who's won three um got some big names coming through town here in the next couple of weeks some of them on back to back so you know it's it might be a little hit and miss with but we got hopey we got bob we got the goalie coaches robbie tallis uh, scott murray i mean there are so many more guys that i know the conversations will be ones that our audience will enjoy that i look forward to having on his guests and yet looking back like it's been a who's who it's been just an absolute blast and i thank everyone for
0: for listening in along Roberto Luongo was still playing in the league when we started. That's right. First interview ever, appropriately yeah. so. And through 40 episodes, I, mean, I was watching a game, Marc-Andre Fleury and Tristan Jari were in this beautiful goalie duel uh, the other day, and I should be enjoying it for the, 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 the play on the ice. But all I'm thinking is, what was that story again about Jari and trying to score and, and having one waved off or something Like when we caught up to him at Tandy Fest? Right. And, and just, he, he was there and, and was nice enough to join us. And there, there's a cool little, um, not, not in the same stratosphere as a Roberto Luongo but just now he's, he's a guy that at that point probably didn't know where things were going with Pittsburgh and he's, he's on the, on the roster winning games for them.
1: Yeah. And on the other end of a battle with a, a Pittsburgh icon in Marc-Andre Fleury. So, yeah. you know, we talk about small world all the time. The goalie world is even smaller and I think tighter and I think. The conversations, the fact that we're talking about things, and I always say this to guys when I pitch them coming on, it's not about like your start last week or how you're playing right now. It's about the things that tie us together as goaltenders from peewee to pro, whether it's gear, technique, mental side, why we love the game. And I think guys genuinely enjoy those conversations. And so I hope that our audience too has been able to enjoy those conversations as they share those experiences and those thoughts with us.
0: And I know that uh, we have listeners in Vegas because uh, plenty have come up and uh, tracked me down at Team Mobile nice. Arena and expressed their appreciation. And I also want to give uh, Cam and everybody over at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for Sports Surrey, uh, a big thank you because they have been with us uh, from the very start, all 40 episodes. And, uh, and they make it uh, certainly uh, easier to, to balance this, these crazy schedules. And they do a wonderful job with you. Uh, in in making sure that the schedules work for the gear segments as well. Yeah, I know it's, uh, couldn't do it without them. And uh, here's to 40 more. I love it. Uh, Chris Osgood, our feature interview today, but the, the wizard, the wizard of Oz, if you want to go down that road uh, for the 40th episode is David Hutchison, who uh, managed to pull together the interview. And uh, we appreciate dad's great work in making sure that you could hear The stories from a three-time Stanley Cup champion. For Kevin Woodley, I'm Darren Mallory. Thanks for listening. We'll chat with you next time on In Goal Radio, the podcast.